Leviticus chapter 12, Parshas Tazria. And we are going to first do an overview of the book. I try not to repeat stuff that I have on video already, but th- there are some additional things that we can do. This time, I want to cover some of the laws of Lashon Hara to, to go into the detail. What does the, what does the Torah laws speak about in specifics on it? Because pretty much we understand the text that we're going to read today has to do with laws of separation, uh, laws of which is called nida, uh, laws of purity. Um, these laws are set up so that a person doesn't have issues in going to the temple and to be able to do particular offerings. So the first reading that we will see speaks of a woman and the ritual impurity contracted by a woman who gives birth. The time frame of this period of impurity differs depending on whether the child is a boy or a girl. At the conclusion of this period, however, the woman immerses in a mikvah and is required to bring certain offerings in the temple. Incidentally, the Torah mentions the obligation to circumcise a male child on the eighth day of his life, and the Torah then begins discussing the laws of skin discoloration. Now, just a couple of uh, footnotes so that we can go into the whole Lashon Hara and the laws of, of, of leprosy or skin discoloration. Uh, just to make uh, a specific point, the laws for a woman who has given a birth it differs between a male and a female whether she gives birth to a boy or a girl. Do you know what the major differences are between the two? Anybody know? Okay, so... Yeah, it's, it's 33 days, and, and yes, and one's a shorter period of time. Uh, and the reason, there's a couple of reasons. One is, first of all, a woman is at such a higher level, and the idea of her purity being affected, um, and at the same time when she has a, a girl child, she's also very elevated, and that, that mother and child have to spend that additional time, just like a high priest has to has to cloister himself away before Yom Kippur. For the seven-day period, he's not to be in touch with anybody else. He's getting ready to prepare for his offerings. So the female, when she comes out of having birth uh, because of the blood, period, because of the blood, she has to go through a period of separation from her husband, meaning having no sexual relationship, and she, uh, she is to not actually be in any contact with her husband except in the same room. So they don't sit in the same chairs. They, it's very, very, uh, very, very ordered. The idea is that during this time, uh, the Rambau explains that uh, her infirmity refers to the discomfort commonly felt on the onset of, of her time of uh, impurity, which would either by, be by giving birth or menstrual time. It's not meaning that she is, she's not, there's not considering uh, this uh, in, an infirmity. You understand, it's not saying the woman's inferior and sick. It means that it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable time of the month for, and especially when you have a child, it's a very uncomfortable thing. Uh, 
however, verse 3, it says, it says, On the eighth day, the foreskin, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. For 33 days she shall remain in the blood of, uh, in blood of purity. She may not touch anything sacred. She may not enter the sanctuary uh, until the completion of the days of her purity. If she gives birth to a female, she shall be contaminated for two weeks as during her separation. And for 66 days she shall remain in blood purity. Now the idea, verse 3, it says on the eighth day. We've heard this quite often, the term the eighth day. Uh, this is a very special day in which uh, the soul of the child and its connection back to Hashem is, is completed through circumcision. It says, although the commandment of circumcision had already been given in Genesis, the 17th chapter, verse 10 through 14, it is repeated because the new laws in this verse that milah may be performed only in the daytime, since the Torah spe- uh, specifically says on the day, sifra, meaning on that day, since the Torah specifies on the eighth day a child must be circumcised on that day, even if it falls on the Shabbos, unless, of course, the infant's health is, uh, there's a problem. So it has to be done during the daytime. Um, the 43 days, in verse 4 mentioned, after the end of the first seven days, she immerses herself to remove the nida, or the contamination of the blood, which is a very detailed thing. Before a woman goes to mikvah, even on a monthly basis, when she uh, has had uh, her, her period, uh, she goes in and makes sure all of her fingernails are cut very closely, trimmed, you know, good pedicure, uh, manicure, uh, making sure that hairs clean, everything is, you, you go to the mikvah perfectly washed off and clean. And you take your time, you make sure that if you have any uncovered areas that, of sores or whatever, you make sure that these, these things are properly treated and, and healed. And then you go into the mikvah. So the mikvah is the highest state of purity. You don't want to go into the mikvah and come out of it with dirt under your fingernails because you've not really properly mikvah, right? So it says, um, it says, following which she assumes a new status for the next 33 days. So before she, for the first seven days, uh, she, she has one status of separation, and then this contamination is washed off, and then she takes upon a new status for the next 33 days. Thus, there will be a 40-day period, the seven days following the birth, and the next 30 days, uh, when she is in at least a partial state of contamination, as, ex- as we're going to explain now. It says, she shall remain in blood of purity. What in the world does it mean, in blood of purity? During this period, she does not incur the ta- uh, tuma of Nidah, even if she experiences a menstrual flow, according to Rashi. It has become the universal custom, however, that a woman experiencing a flow during these days is regarded as nida, meaning she needs to keep herself separated. Anything sacred, although her nida contamination has been removed, she may not touch terumah or sacrificial meat for a 30-day period, but she is allowed to touch the second tithe 
even though it was a certain degree, uh, it, it's, it, even though it has a certain degree of holiness. Um, there is, um, when we think of, of purity and what was so important about this is her blood flow kept her separated from Hashem. Not spiritually, but physically. She couldn't go into the temple. And why couldn't she go? Because the things in the temple could become contaminated, and therefore the temple would, would have to be atoned for its iniquity. Remember the altar being atoned for? So it's one of those kinds of things. Um, so let's, let's look at verse 5. It says, um, if she gives birth to a female, she's contaminated for two weeks during uh, her separation. I'm sorry, let's go to 6. Upon the completion of the days of her purity for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring uh, a sheep with, with its, uh, within its first year for an elevation offering, and a young dove or a turtle dove for a sin offering to enter the tent of meeting. Did she commit a sin? No, she didn't commit a sin. This is an unintentional sin. So just in case during this time of impurity, I touch something, you know, my husband or whatever, and I unintentionally did something, you bring the turtle dove as just a, a, a just-in-case deal. Um, let's go to chapter 13, and Mrs. Val, if you wouldn't mind, um, read chapter, start reading chapter 13. Hashem spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, If a person will have on the skin of his flesh a saiz, or a sabachat, or a baharet, and it will become a zarat, affliction on the skin of his flesh, he shall be brought to Aaron the Kohen, or to one of his sons, the Kohenim. The Kohen shall look at the affliction on the skin of his flesh. If hair in the affliction has changed to white, and the affliction's appearance is deeper than the skin of the flesh, it is a zaras affliction, the Kohen shall look at it and declare him contaminated. If it is a white bahares on the skin of his flesh, and its appearance is not deeper than the skin, and the hair has not changed to white, then the Kohen shall quarantine the affliction for a seven-day period. The Kohen shall look at it on the seventh day, and behold, the affliction retains its color, and the affliction did not spread on the skin, then the Kohen shall quarantine it for a second seven-day period. The Kohen shall look at it again on the seventh day, and behold, if the affliction has dimmed and the affliction has not spread on the skin, then the Kohen shall declare him pure. It is a mispaha. He shall immerse his garments and become pure. But if the mispaha should spread on the skin, after it had been shown to the Kohen for its purification, it should be shown to the Kohen again. The Kohen shall look, and behold, the Mispahas has spread on the skin, so the Kohen shall declare him contaminated. It is Saras. Okay. All of this detail about a thing that is labeled in your English Bible as leprosy. Okay. This is not leprosy in the clinical sense something very unique that took place during the temple times, and that was that the people were at such an elevated place 
that to speak slander or, or gossip, uh, to, to demean another person, they would begin to develop these patches of, of bad skin on their body. And this affliction uh, had a very detailed way of examining it. And the reason why the sages say this is that the root of the word or the contraction from the word, it says, one who spreads slander. And the reference is found in in, um, Rahim 15b. It says, similarly, the sages teach from various midrashim that the affliction is a punishment for the sins of bloodshed, false oaths, sexual immorality, pride, robbery, and selfishness. The pattern that emerges is that it is the divine retribution for the offender's failure to feel the needs and share the hurt of others. God rebukes this antisocial behavior by isolating it from society so that it can be experienced, so he can experience the pain he has imposed on others and heals himself through repentance. Now, mind you, it would really be neat if you could live in an age in which you could tell a gossip or a slander by the color of their skin. All right? We can't do it. However, you know what? You know, it does affect you. And one of the things that I would like to sort of bring down and talk about during this process of understanding the condition of tzaratz is this idea that a person who can do secret sins, it's easy for it to not be found. I mean, everybody can have secret sins and no one would ever know. But the problem is they're living in such a high elevated place where the temple, the, mid, uh, the, uh, the, the tabernacle, was in their midst. And for the people to have secret sins that no one knew about, they were risking death by going into the temple. Think about it. Risking death by going into the tabernacle to offer an offering that no one knew that they had slandered, they had committed some level of, of, of bloodshed or false oath or sexual immorality. Who would know? just between me and her, right? It's just, no one knows that I was giving, you know, talking about another person except for the person I was talking to. And You know, what they don't know doesn't hurt them. Well, God had a way of sort of punking them out, and so they would begin to show these spots. So the basic uh, tzaras and the procedure for its verification goes this way. It's explained in verse 2 and 3. It says, first, the symptom of uh, tzaras is a white patch on the skin, which must be the, at least the size of, of a large bean, like a navy bean, right? Uh, or not a navy bean. What's the big white? The big white? Lima, lima bean, yeah. Um, the large bean has the estimate, uh, estimated to be three, uh, three-fourths of an inch square and is described in the notes in verse 2. There are two basic shades of white, and each of the two has a secondary color, making a total of four shades. Only the Kohen is authorized by the Torah to diagnose Tzaratz and pronounce the malady as such. Unless a Kohen makes the pronouncement, none of these laws apply, even though multitude of scholars uh, and Kohenim... um, uh, Let me go to the next page. uh, ...recognize it as such. Uh, First, the Torah describes the basic form of Tzaratz and and how all four of them are determined to be tami, which 
the Torah goes on to discuss the characteristics to, uh, to tend to appear in one order of the category of Sarats. So the idea is this. If a person simply just spoke out of turn and hurt someone, and they haven't repented over it, repent over speaking against evil against someone means not only do you stop speaking evil, but you go rectify it. You do something to build their character up. You go around and you talk positive, affirming things about that person. If you're going to do it behind their back, then you also need to go when they are not around and speak affirming words to them. That's how it's made up. If a person doesn't repent over it, it starts showing up as a little patch, and then at some point they think, you know what, I'll cover it up. I'll just wear my sleeves down so my, my, my bobos don't show. Um, that person can hide for a while, but the problem is, is that patch can get bigger and pretty soon could cover many portions of their body, and not only that, where else? Their dwelling. It'll affect their house. So one very incredible thing that we learn about negative speech is how it affects your body. In Rabbi's wonderful book, Rabbi uh, Greenbaum's book called A Call to Live. How many has read that? You read Call to Live? Fantastic book. If you want to read a book that is about uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical healing, you need to read the book. It's a fantastic book. And one of the things in that book talks about the, the power of negative speaking, how it affects the body, and what it does to the human body. Conversely, there's also the idea speaking affirmative, positive things helps to heal the body, heal the mind. Begin to say things that are life-affirming and not destructive. And I tell you, there are some cultures that that's just the culture, isn't it? I don't know if you've been around some people that that's just their culture. They just, they constantly are slandering people and talking about people. It's just, that is a very difficult thing for someone to get out of. But if you can only understand that negative speech can also be speech that you, in, you intend to be good, but it, you know it, it ends up hurting them. Like, for example, uh, we'll hear somebody say, well, you know, I'm just honest, and I'm just going to tell the truth. Right? You can be honest and tell the truth and speak Lashon Hara, evil speech. And you've got to be very careful about that. So the idea is today we don't have a tabernacle, a temple. We don't have the high level of holiness that they had back at that time. But we still need to learn the lesson that negative speech can destroy you and your family. And at some point, it will get to the place, the only correction would be to just shut your mouth and don't say anything. The Chofetz Chaim, they said, never spoke a negative word, not one negative word, ever. And he often would say that it's better to sit in silence than to speak one single word that might be even taken negative. Not even just spoken negatively, but might be taken negatively. And it's tough. It's really, it's really hard thing to do because you don't, until you know the laws of Lashon Hara, you really don't know how to really treat it. So we're going to go through these laws of Lashon Hara uh, in, in just a second. So the idea is the high priest or the priest could be the only one who could diagnose this condition. So even though it's obvious to everyone around them that this person has an issue, no one can, can 
put that on a person and and declare them to be of of the skin disorder unless they're the priest. Why do you think this is the case? The sages of blessed memory say that the reason why is the the priest, the Kohen, uh, had such uh, chesed, loving kindness toward people that they would in no, they would be very careful about declaring that on a person, and they would deal with it with the utmost of sanctity and kindness toward the person, and that is why the priest had to be the only one to be able to do that. Now, the uh, you will remember uh, from last last year's lecture lecture in um, Deuteronomy, where Miriam spoke negatively about her brother, actually to her brother, about, sorry, she spoke to Aaron about her brother's wife, right? And what she said was uh, true, but she had no, she was just in the wrong place. She shouldn't have made this judgment upon uh, on her brother when she didn't know what was going on. When Miriam spoke negatively about her brother, Moses, uh, she was rebuked by God and afflicted with the skin disease of Sarah's. As a punishment due to Moses' prayer, she was cured soon after, but still needed to remain outside of the camp for seven days. Aaron, who had listened to her negative speech without protesting, was also punished, but not as severely. So it is just as bad to receive the negative speech as it is to give it. Interesting, where does she go, for, or where does a person with Sarah's go? Outside the camp. Who's outside of the camp? The Gair. It's the people from Egypt that came along. It's the Gair. They're outside the camp. It's the Gair that ultimately helps to bring them back into relationship with Hashem and also back into their own community. It is interesting that the the Mashiach is said to... Uh, that he will bring in the nations, or when you find the Mashiach, he will be at the gates of Rome binding the lepers, binding the lepers. And that comes from a commentary, from an idea that the Mashiach will bring uh, the lepers from the nations. And it's an interesting terminology. It seems almost that it is the people of the nations that begin to do, do something on the surface of of the the Jewish body. Well, I'm not talking about the individual, but I'm talking about all of Judaism itself. That it's going to affect the look of the Jewish body. It, it's going to change the dynamic of the Jewish body. And it would be a really interesting thing to have maybe have Rabbi Greenbaum talk extensively about this whole subject matter. But there are most definitely links to the Mashiach and to this leprosy and the fact that the person goes outside of the camp and where does Mashiach come from? He will come from the nations. He'll come out of the not meaning that he's going to be a person of the nations, but that's where he will come from because he'll be bringing the Gerim with him. Uh, how about the spies that went into the land? There was a problem, right? The twelve spies were sent soon after to Israel. Did not uh, did not take a lesson of this story. They too spoke negatively about the land of Israel. What did they say about the land? It's impossible. We can't conquer this land. There's giants in the land. You know, they said all kinds of things that part was true and then some was not true. In fact, we find Lashon Hara, slanderous talk, is a sin that has caused numerous tragedies in, the Jew, in Jewish history. 
I'm going to go through a few to, to show you. The Midrash tells us the snake uh, slandered God to Eve when convincing her to eat of the tree of the knowledge. And what was the curse that the snake had? Was to crawl on its belly for the rest of his life. Obviously, it walked on two legs and was probably more like a, uh, a man reptile than a snake that we see today. Does it make sense? Weird kind of a thing. Joseph spoke negatively to his father, Jacob, uh, about his brothers, causing them to hate him. This led to them selling him and ultimately causing the Egyptian exile. Slanderous words causes exile not only for you, but also for your family. For, uh, at first, Moses wondered why the Jews deserve their difficult slavery in Egypt. When he heard that there were tail-bearers among them, he said that he thus understood why they deserved this fate. Remember when he was talking to Hashem, he says, there are tail-bearers amongst these people, and they're saying all kinds of things about me. This is Lashon Hara. The slander of, of Deog, uh, King Saul, chief shepherd, and the head of the Sanhedrin, caused a, the massacre, massacre of nearly an entire city of Kohanim. This is found, uh, let me find, give you the reference so you'll know. First um, Samuel 22.9. Um, in fact, the enemies of King Saul lost their battles with the Philistines as a result of the slander that people spoke against the then future king, David Hamelech. Uh, on the other hand, the army, armies of the notorious King Ahab was successful in their battles despite the fact that they were idolatrous because they did not have the sin of Lashon Hara. So even the enemy who was fighting against Israel, because they didn't have the sin of Lashon Hara, won in the battle. Next, according to the Talmud, it was the slander of Jews by Jews that actually brought down the destruction of the second temple. It's called baseless hatred. The laws of Lashon Hara are actually way too lengthy for us to even attempt to cover in this class. And the book that I suggest that you get is the book uh, by the Chafetz Chaim, on this very subject matter. It's a fantastic book. I think a few of you have already read it. Uh, I know that Loretta has, has read the book. It's a fantastic book. I have it at the house. Uh, the name ha- is inspired by the verse that says this, Whosoever of you desires life, Chafetz Chaim, that's what life, uh, life, guard your tongue from evil. If you want a successful life, then guard your tongue. It is interesting because our tongue has a gate. Yes. It's called Chafetz Chaim. I'll, I'll show it to you after, after this. Um, our tongue has teeth. Why do we have teeth? It's a gate. Keep the tongue in. It's, it's good. Just keep it where it should be. I thought I had another page on this. Anyway. Uh, let's go over uh, a, uh, some of the brief highlights of Lashon Har. It's very important here. Uh, Lashon Hari literally means bad talk. This means that it is forbidden to speak negatively about someone, even if it's true. Uh, the reference for this is the Shulchan Arut Arav. Uh, it's, it's, I can give you all these references later on. You can just come uh, copy them from here if you'd like. It is forbidden to repeat anything about another person, even if it's not a negative thing. This is called... Rechuliut, 
this is, um, even though it's not negative, repeating it in such a way that would embarrass them, it's just not appropriate. It is forbidden to listen to Lashon Hara. One could either reprimand the speaker or, if that is not possible, one should extricate himself from the whole conversation and just walk away. All these references I have on, on this piece of paper. Even if one has already heard the Lashon Hara, it is forbidden to even believe it. This is one thing I love about Judaism. It says to judge fairly, favorably. So you hear it and you just go, you know, that can't be true. So this great story is rabbi going down the street and sees a fellow Jew smoking a cigarette and Shabbos. So he walks up and he goes, you know it's Shabbos. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, Rabbi, I know, I didn't know it was Shabbos. And so he puts the cigarette out and he goes, you know, honestly, I, I knew it was Shabbos. He says, see, you're such a good Jew, you can't even lie on the Shabbos. Didn't even bring up the cigarette, you understand? You can't even lie on the Shabbos, right? So the idea, just judge favorably. If you hear something, always judge favorably. Just the best way to deal with the whole thing. Keeps it from sticking it in your noggin as well. Um, nevertheless, one should suspect that Lashon Hara is, if, or one may suspect that Lashon Hara is true and take the necessary precautions to protect oneself. If you suspect that what you heard was true, do whatever you can to protect yourself from repeating that uh, again, even hinting to it to someone else. One may not even retell a negative event without using names if the listener might be able to figure out who is being spoken of. In certain circumstances, such as to protect someone from harm, it is permissible or even obligatory to share negative information, as there may be many details, uh, there are many details to this law, one should consult a rabbi in this particular situation. So, here's the example. You know that uh, Moshe is on the sly uh, stealing stuff from the hardware store. He just, he's a kleptomaniac. <laughs> I don't think so. But yeah, he, 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 he always has tools in his office, in his place, you know? Yeah. But I'm concerned for him because I'm concerned he's going to get caught. What would be the best way to deal with that without it becoming Lashon Ha? Huh? Talk to him and, and not believe him. So if someone said, hey, you know, I saw Moshe in the store. He was in Harbor Freight. He bought a pack of batteries, but I saw the hammer in his back pocket. So I'm going to be thinking, you know, he may have carried the hammer in, right? But I would have to, I'm obligated to go to Moshe and say, look, this is the deal. This is what someone saw, and I'm really concerned about it. Maybe you can do something to take care of that. I'm sure that it was not what it looked like. You judge favorably in the situation. That's how you avoid the situation altogether. Um, and the best thing to do is, as we talk about, consult a rabbi, get a hold of me, and I'll put you in touch with, with Rabbi Greenbaum, and he would be more than glad to share with you. This issue is probably one of the most important issues, um, period, in our life, not to speak negatively about people. I guess once it's been done to you at such a level, you are more sensitive to it then probably if you don't get negative speech hurled at you. Uh, and, you know, look, 
I understand it comes with the territory in the situation that I'm in because I'm I'm in public and I sh- you know I'm going to get you know I, yeah I'm gonna, I'm going to get dinged right I get shot at and I understand that so I, I don't let it bug me but at the same time they're hurting themselves they don't even realize it. the person that gets on YouTube or Facebook and says a negative inflammatory statements about another human being whether it be true or not it's a sin and that is the case and we have got to know that and to know make sure that we guard ourselves from it I would like to deal with this in closing our our speech is powerful very powerful the the strongest part of the body is our mouth it can kill or destroy it can build up it can change worlds you can tacoon you can repair so many things by a kind word and that is why it is important for us to work on these things generally i would say it's more at the level of refinement. You guys don't have issue gossiping and talking about people in general. And if you do, you normally catch it. And if anybody, by the way, ever comes to you and says, this is not Lashon Hara, but it's Lashon Hara. Right? I had, a, I had a little fifth grader at the school came up to me at the, at the Orthodox school, and she says, uh, you know, this is not Lashon Hara, but I want to tell I was like, yeah, stop. If you just had to tell me that this is Lashon Hara, I don't want to hear it. Go take it up with the person you're dealing with. And she wanted to say something about another student in the class. So um, let's take, a, take the time and hit by the dude personal prayer to seriously examine these areas. Something really big happens when you take, even if it's initially 10 or 15 minutes of just quiet meditation, The sages of blessed memory say to empty out a space, to carve out an empty space. And in this empty space, you want Hashem to fill that empty space with His wisdom, with knowledge, with chesed, right? You want Him to fill that. Often we don't have enough room because what we have in it is negative things, right? We have Lashon Hara. And the way we get rid of it is first by recognizing, you know what, I do it, I do it. I've said things, and I continue to say things about people. And it's, if they knew I was saying these things, it would be so painful. I would be embarrassed, honestly. I'd be so embarrassed. Hashem, please forgive me. I have got to. I want to empty myself out. And this space is reserved for you alone. I don't want to control this space. This is the space that you, you are in. And the way we carve out that empty space is by constantly putting ourselves in check, bringing ourselves under the yoke of heaven. And then as we begin to ask God to forgive us of those things in personal prayer, we then begin to meditate about positive, affirming things, not only about other people, but about yourself. And now let's say this at the end. Is it possible to speak Lashon Hara about yourself? Yes. We're forbidden to do Lashon Hara, period. You never should look yourself in the mirror and go... I'm the ugliest thing since, whatever, God made bulldogs, right? You're not supposed to say that. And we, now listen, we can be very critical of ourselves. There's a difference between 
critiquing oneself and saying, these are the things I need to do to make improvements. But a person who says that I'm a failure at everything, there's no hope for me, is the height of the greatest arrogance before Hashem. That in and of itself is like idolatry. Because now you are declaring something about you that Hashem has never declared about you. And if you have spoken Lashon Hara about yourself, or your children, or your in-laws, God forgive me for my in-laws, but anyway, but the in-laws, now it's time, empty yourself out. Be serious before Hashem and say, look, I cannot have a blessed life with speaking negativity. And so that's, that's the conclusion of the class, and if you have questions, now would be time.